Good evening and Merry Christmas. It's good to be with y'all. As M Mother Susan said earlier, my name is Michael and I'm one of the clergy here at Servants. And I have only been here in Gainesville for a couple of years. And so I'm still getting used to the seasonal things that only happen once a year. This is my second Christmas here. So I'm still getting used to what Christmas feels like. I'm not used to Christmas, with the exception of the last 24 hours, being warmer than it is where I had lived in DC or in Massachusetts. I'm used to Christmas being cold, and the cold weather helps me get in like the Christmas spirit. So to go ahead and like alienate half of y'all here, I'm actually really excited about the cold weather, um, which is not what you're supposed to say to people who live in Florida. Um, but I'm grateful because it helps me get in the Christmas spirit, because it's easy for me, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to have Christmas come around and I feel like I was snuck up on. Hey Scott, I think my mic is kind of loud. Can you go ahead and turn it down some? Thanks. It's easy for me to feel like I was snuck up on. Uh, perhaps it's the weather, it's not as uh, warm as I'm used to. Maybe I'm just so busy that all of a sudden I turn around and it's Christmas. Uh, it's, instead of it feeling like a magical time of mystery and wonder, it can feel more ordinary, more normal. And it's hard for me then to get in the Christmas spirit. And when I, I say the Christmas spirit, I, I don't mean like the warm, cozy feeling and the fun aesthetic with sweaters and holly and tinsel. Though I love those things, I love those Christmas songs, I, I'm talking about more the awe and the wonder. When I'm talking about Christmas spirit, I'm talking about the things we sometimes sing about in the, classmas, the classic Christmas carols, where we say that Christmas is the hope and fears of all the years are met in the tonight, or it's a thrill of hope for a weary world. It's something that's much larger than a cozy feeling. And so when I, I see that, and I look at what we see in the Gospels where everyone who encounters this child is blown away. I feel like this is one of the closest things we get to a scene from a musical in the Bible where the angel is saying something and before he can finish, his friends appear out of nowhere and break into song because they're so excited about what's happening. And the shepherds, once they see it, they're also amazed. They're worshiping just like the angels. Everyone they tell is amazed and Mary is pondering things in their heart. Whatever is happening in Christmas is a big deal that goes beyond the warm fuzzies that we get at Christmas. And so it's easy to see that and then to see how I often feel when I'm snuck up on by Christmas and feel a sense of dissonance because my life seems much more ordinary than what I read in this passage. I don't know if you can relate to that whatsoever. Perhaps it's hard for you to get in the Christmas spirit this year because you've endured and suffered losses this year that feel much more present once we get to the holiday season. Or maybe you're in a spiritual rut or trying to figure things out with God and so when you come to talk about the birth of Jesus, you don't quite know what to think. Or maybe you're just tired and exhausted and you're hoping to get to whatever your holiday break is going to be, to have some rest from work, 
to have some rest from buying presents, uh, to have a little bit of a break. It's easy to feel like what we're going through is ordinary and far removed from the marvel and the mystery of Jesus' birth. And I think that dissonance is actually okay, and I actually think it can be a good thing. Because despite the wonder that's involved with this passage, Jesus' birth is surprisingly ordinary. The past few years as I've listened to this passage every Christmas, I've been struck by how ordinary it is. And so I think that as we appreciate the ordinariness of this passage, we can better marvel at the wonders of Christ's love. So let's take a look at how things are ordinary and then see how perhaps that can help bring about that awe and wonder. So what are the things that are ordinary in this passage? Well, it starts with a king's decree. Caesar's decree sets things in motion. And Caesar is no ordinary person. He's the king of one of the largest empires in the universe. But he's doing normal king things. This census would be so they could better tax the people. And taxation is a very normal part of any kind of government, be it Caesar or here in the United States. And just like it is now, the decisions of powerful rulers have great impacts for regular people. That's true just how it is for you and me, and that was true for Mary and Joseph as well. And then we see another normal thing in uh, a woman's labor. We see Mary giving birth. What starts out with Uh, the actions of a king and a, a governor within a few sentences fade into the background as we focus on this anonymous couple. Now, if you were to go back into 4 BC or 3 BC or 1 BC, there are debates among historians about which exact year he might have been born in. But whatever year that was, if you were to do a year in review, if like one of the news outlets of the day were to do a year in review, the birth of Jesus would not have cracked the top 10. It would not have cracked the top 100 because births are so normal and ordinary. If, 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 if you were to have like a local news reporter on site with live coverage of people moving around about the census, the only way Mary and Joseph would have gotten their faces on camera would have been anonymous people in the background a caravan of folks trying to go to find where they were going to stay. They're a normal couple going through a normal part of life. Now, we, we might think, but there's something dramatic about what we have, how they go into Bethlehem and there's no room for them in the end, so they have to go to a stable. That doesn't seem very normal. That seems kind of unusual. That seems out of the ordinary. But what if there wasn't all of that drama? So in some of your Bibles, perhaps where it says there is no place for them in the inn, there will be a footnote that says, or guest room. This is a word that Luke will use again in chapter 22 when Jesus is telling his disciples to prepare a place for them to go have the Last Supper. And he says, go meet in this word that is here used for in, 
when it's clearly not talking about an inn. It's talking about an extra room in someone's house. And in fact, there's another place in the Gospel of Luke where he does talk about an inn in the parable of the Good Samaritan where the, the Samaritan takes the man who's been beaten and battered on the side of the road and he puts him up in an inn and he does not use this word here. So instead of them wandering around in a dramatic fashion trying to find an inn, it's much more likely that they were staying with Joseph's family. It would have been unthinkable back then in that culture for you to walk up to a town where you have family and your family to leave you out in the cold. And so what's probably much more likely is that it's saying there was no room in the guest room. Perhaps they showed up late after other people and that room was already full. Or perhaps in the small confines of a guest room, these aren't big houses we're talking about, there's not enough room for all of the people that would be involved with helping Mary give birth. And so perhaps what we think of as this romantic, dramatic kind of story actually happens in the midst of the main room of a house, where the houses of those days would have had one main room well, what's the manger for? They, didn't they couldn't afford to build a separate structure to keep their animals in. It was almost like they had a garage of sorts where they dug out a spot right next to the main room, no wall, where they would keep their animals. And the manger, the feeding trough, would be right there on the boundary of that uh, where the animals were. And so there's a very good chance that Jesus was born in the middle of an ordinary house in the middle of where people lived their everyday lives. And then we see another ordinary thing with the shepherds and their curiosity. Now I admit, an angelic serenade is not ordinary. I'm not gonna try and make that claim and explain that away. That's very unusual. If that happens often in your life, please come talk to me. I'd love to hear more about it. But if you just ignore the angels for a moment, and if angels are speaking to you, you probably shouldn't ignore them, but just for the sake of argument right now, let's ignore the angels. The shepherds are normal people. They're people who live, who work in a respectable blue-collar trade at the time in a society that depended on sheep for agricultural and religious purposes. And what they did in response to this admittedly extraordinary thing was very ordinary. They just had an unbelievable experience where angels came and appeared before them and said, hey, there's this crazy thing that's happening. And they didn't go, well, it has to be true, obviously. No, what did they do? They, they went and looked to see what the angels were talking about. That's a normal response of curiosity once you've been told something that's amazing. You wanna go and figure it out. And just as an aside, that could be some of y'all this evening. Perhaps you're trying to make sense of what this announcement of Jesus is all about. Perhaps you don't know what you believe about Jesus. If that's you, then be like the shepherds. Go and see, 
Go try and f- figure things out who this Jesus is. And if you would like help with that, I'd be happy to talk to you. You can talk to Mother Susan as well. We'd be happy to help you as you try and search for Jesus just like those shepherds. And so we see in the king's decree and the woman's labor and the shepherd's curiosity, we see that a lot of the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth are surprisingly ordinary. Perhaps not the, uh, the... marvel and mystery that we all think of when we think of the magic of of Christmas. And I think once we get a grasp on this, once we see how mundane so many parts of Jesus' birth are, we can get a better sense of the marvels, of the awe, of the wonder, of the Christmas spirit that the shepherds and the angels had. So now let's take a look at those marvels, what are they, and how does the ordinariness heighten them? So we already mentioned that the angels, kind of a big deal, uh, they had this announcement where they, they said, um, where they said, uh, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who was Christ the Lord. And then the angel gives them a sign. What what is the angel talking about? What does that mean? I think we can get a better sense at just how stunning this is if we look at a parallel to it in a different spot in the Bible where something very similar happens. So if we just zoom out a bit, what we have here is we have shepherds who are tending sheep when the angel of the Lord appears to them in wondrous light and announces God's coming salvation and gives them a sign of God's presence. That's at the basics is what is happening here. And some 12 to 1400 years before the birth of Jesus, something exactly like that happened where Moses was shepherding a flock of sheep. And all of a sudden, there was this great wondrous light, a bush that was burning, yet was not consumed. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and announces God's coming salvation. Now here the angel says something a little different. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, of the the." people of Israel who had been in slavery in Egypt. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them. That's the angel's announcement of God's salvation. And then he gives Moses a sign that the people will worship on that mountain, that the people will worship on Mount Sinai. We have all of the same elements here. We have a shepherd, the angel of the Lord, a wondrous light, uh, an announcement of salvation, and a sign. This is a very similar thing that's happening, but in a different context. And once we see how they have these overlaps, once we see the things that are different, that's when I think how we see how crazy it is what's happening at the birth of Jesus, 
is in a context that's so ordinary. So what's different between Moses and the shepherds here? So one is the nature of the salvation. If you remember the story of the Exodus, the salvation there was mighty acts of God, miracles to deliver them out from under Egypt and and Pharaoh, plagues and, and parting of the sea and everything like that. But here, with the angels and the shepherds, God's salvation is much more, it's not mighty, it's meek. It's a helpless child. And with Moses, the sign that Moses receives is that the people would worship on Sinai. And if, if you remember what happened at that time when Moses received the Ten Commandments, this is how the Bible talks about it. It talked about how it was so God's presence was so overwhelming. This God who made the universe, who is so holy, his presence on this mountain was so unbelievable that the mountain itself quaked, that smoke went up, that God was speaking out of thunder. The people who encountered it were terrified and they didn't want to draw near to the mountain out of fear that they would be consumed and that they would die. And yet here, we see an announcement of the same God who's come, but now he's a baby. He's swaddled in a manger. You can walk up to him. You can hold him. And this is what is so wondrous about this announcement, that the God who shook the mountain that Moses was on is now rocked to sleep in his mother's arms. That the God who spoke in thunder is now babbling in a manger. God was up and over a great mountain and now he's in a lowly, humble human house. God enters into our ordinary world and lives as an ordinary person just like you and me. The maker of man is made man as uh, an ancient church father would say. And this is what is so wild. This is so what is so wonderful that God who is so up on high would stoop so low to come and dwell with us. That is the wonder of Christmas that the angels and shepherds sing about. And so what does that mean for us? It means that God is drawing near. When Moses is before the angel of the Lord at the burning bush, the angel tells him, stay away, don't come here, it's not safe. But now, with Jesus, we can draw near to God. Christ draws near to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be around unpleasant situations or people or places. If things are awkward or not nice, if I can, I try and remove myself from the situation. You might be like that as, as well because we don't want to be around the things that are hard. You, you might not want to look at the news because it's always so depressing. And yet, in this world that's filled with mess, God comes 
and draws near. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not like that. I'm more than happy to draw near to people who are unpleasant, to unpleasant circumstances. I'm sure you are. You're probably far nicer than I am. But what if you aren't as pleasant as you would imagine yourself to be? What if you draw near to the unpleasantness in others, but you stay far away from the unpleasantness that's in your own life? What if there are parts of you that you avoid, that you try and hide from, that you don't want anyone to know about, that you don't want yourself to know about? Those deepest wounds in your hearts, those most tender moments of your life, God draws near to. And not only does he draw near, he knows our pain. God told Moses, I see your affliction. But with Christmas, with the wonder of Christmas, God in Jesus experiences our affliction. He doesn't just see it. He enters into our world of pain. And so if you this Christmas are struggling with pain and grief, then look to the manger and look to the God who draws near to you in your deepest and most tenderest moments. And not only that, God draws near to us in our ordinary lives. The way that God showed up with Moses seemed mighty and amazing, far removed from uh, the mundane things that you and I go through on an everyday basis. But Jesus was born to ordinary parents in the middle of a hustle and bustle of an ordinary house. And most of his life was spent toiling in anonymity. And so if it's hard to get into the Christmas spirit because you feel so busy and overwhelmed, then look to the manger and see the God who entered into those ordinary moments of our lives. God came to dwell with us in our ordinariness because he wanted our ordinary lives to be a place where we encounter him. As we're at work, as we're at school, as we're with our families, doing the kinds of things that we don't even think about, that we're on autopilot with, in those ordinary moments, God wants to dwell with us. And so when we see the wonder of Christmas in that way, as one former English bishop put it, Jesus isn't pictured as born over there, away from everyday life, inviting us to visit once a year. But he's at the heart of the home, asking whether we too will make space for him. And so when we see how ordinary these people are involved in the birth of Jesus. And we see how it is with these ordinary people that God chooses to dwell, that God chooses to enter into their lives and their pain. Perhaps we can start to have a sense of the wonder and joy that seems so natural to the angels and the shepherds. Please pray with me.
Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that when you look down upon the mess of our world and the mess of our lives, you are not bored, you are not put off, but you said, I will come down. I have seen your affliction and I will come down. And I ask that this Christmas and each one of us here, Lord, that you would show us how you are drawing near to us right now. Give us eyes to see how you are with us in our ordinary lives and the depths of your love of what you would go through, Lord, just to be with us. And Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.